Welcome to the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded on Thursday the 22nd of February 2018, by kind permission of the editor of the Worcester News. Your team this week are Paddy, Moira, Janet, Duncan, Hugh, Julie and Barry. As usual, we have this week's headlines, thought for the day, birthdays, deaths and letters to the editor. Lighting up times this week are 5.35pm to 7.08am. And this week's headlines are nearly all about crime. Apologies for that, but starting on Friday the 16th of February. Public Help PC Stop Violent Shoplifter. Then on Saturday, Pregnant Woman Hurt as Partner Fled Police. And a bit of a change on Monday, all shook up by quake tremors. And then back to crime on Tuesday, gym club couple must repay lost £10,000. Wednesday, a violent attack on gate crasher. And finally, on Thursday, puppet master led city cocaine gang. Okay, so thought for the day this week comes from John 5.24. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Uh, now moving on to birthdays and deaths. We've got a birthday today. Uh, so happy birthday to Christine Castle and the deaths are Desmond John Beamond, who passed away peacefully after a long illness on January the 21st, aged 57 years. Vladimir Kornak passed away suddenly at home on February the 3rd, aged 55 years. Trevor Whitehouse, formerly of Worcester and latterly of Western Stafford, died peacefully on February the 7th, aged 88. Dennis Sparks sadly passed away on February the 12th, aged 87. Sheila Mary Tarbuck uh, died on February the 10th, aged 78. And Christina Beatrice Ann Hill passed away peacefully at Norton Hall Nursing Home on February the 5th, aged 81 years. Peter Locke passed away peacefully at Henwick Grange Nursing Home on February the 1st, 2018. Gillian Ann Mary Small, knee Whitaker, passed away peacefully in hospital on January the 27th, aged 80 years. Brenda Hamnett, former licensee of the Ketch, passed away peacefully on February the 5th, aged 82 years. John Edward Hugh Howell of Worcester, passed away peacefully on February the 7th, aged 94 years. Margaret Mary Hunt, passed away peacefully at home 
on January the 25th, aged 93 years. Ronald Francis Southern passed away peacefully with his family by his side on January the 30th, aged 89 years. Peter Cyril Sutton passed away peacefully on February the 4th after a long illness, bravely born, aged 78 years. And finally, Doreen Yap Nee Milner passed away peacefully on February the 10th, aged 87 years. Okay, and here's Moira with the first headline. Okay, so Public Health PC stopped violence shoplifter. A shoplifter was foiled by a man who tied his shoelaces together to stop him escaping from police during a dramatic <laughs> chase and violent struggle. Daniel Cox of Wiles Lane in Worcester stole items from Wilco in the city before fighting with PC Matthew Waite, pushing a toddler and threatening to spit in the officer's face while claiming he had hepatitis B. Cox was eventually caught as a member of the public tied his shoelaces together as he was resisting the officer and another man helped by radioing PC Waite's colleagues. PC Waite said, I would like to thank the members of the public that assisted me during the incident. The assistance received involved someone using my police radio to alert my control room and another member of the public even tying the offender's shoelaces together to prevent him escaping during a very violent struggle. I was shocked at the level of aggression and sheer desperation to evade arrest that was shown by the offender. I'll try that again. I was shocked at the level of aggression and sheer desperation to evade arrest that was shown by the offender, and I'm extremely grateful for the assistance provided by the members of the public that helped. Cox, 30, was originally asked to empty his bag by PC Weight at 11.45am on Sunday as he left the Wilco in High Street as he was suspected of shoplifting. He refused and a scuffle broke out, which led to Cox suffering a head injury and bleeding heavily. Items on shelves fell to the ground as Cox struggled to get away from the officer. Cox managed to escape and run down the high street, pushing members of the public, including a toddler, out of the way. The PC followed him to Copenhagen Street car park, where he hid under a car. I think that's Cox, not the police officer. <laughs> PC Waite says he was forced to hit Cox with a baton as he continued to struggle. He then threatened to spit at the officer, claiming he had hepatitis B. During the struggle, a member of the public helped to tie the shoplifter's laces together to prevent him escaping, whilst another person used the police radio to let PC Waite's colleagues know what had happened. PC Waite only suffered grazes during the incident, but went to hospital as a precaution to check his blood had not been contaminated by Cox. Cox appeared at Redditch Magistrates Court on Tuesday, charged with stealing air freshener and fabric softener from Wilco, and also confectionery from Sainsbury's in a separate incident, as well as assaulting a police officer. The thief was jailed for 16 <coughs> weeks after admitting the offence and told to pay compensation to PC Waite. A dangerous drug driver was told by his pregnant partner to stop the car before he crashed into a tree during a police chase. Elliot Penberthy's pregnant partner was in the front passenger seat 
as he fled the police in Worcester city centre before crashing into a tree on a roundabout, injuring her neck. The 26-year-old admitted dangerous driving, failing to stop when asked to by a police officer, and two counts of drug driving after tests showed he was under the influence of cocaine. Penberthy was driving a blue Honda Civic at around 2.20am on June the 18th last year when he attracted the attention of police officers by driving the wrong way towards St Nicholas Street up Trinity Street. <clears throat> Penberthy was forced to come to a stop when he encountered vehicles coming in the opposite direction and spoke to police officers, telling them he did not know the area. Philip Vollens, prosecuting, said, One of the officers asked him to pull over and asked for a specimen of breath. At this point, Mr. Penberthy accelerated rapidly down Trinity Street to St. Swithin Street, along the cross and onto Fourgate Street. His driving, His driving was considered to be dangerous at that point. Officers on foot put out a call and a police officer in an unmarked car began to pursue him, illuminating his lights and activating the sirens as Penberthy accelerated in the direction of Ombersley Road. Mr Vollens said, Mr Penberthy drove into a bus lane and through a red light at Shaw Street, identified as a particularly dangerous spot in the area. Penberthy was driving at 50 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone as he approached a roundabout on the A449 and then he accelerated still further to 90 miles an hour. The speed limit on that section is 50 miles an hour. The chase ended when he crashed into the roundabout and lost control of the car. The chase concludes when he hits a tree on the roundabout, said Mr. Vollens. He added, it's identified that there was a female passenger in the vehicle described as the defendant's girlfriend. She was the front passenger. She described to the officer that she was suffering from neck pain. She told the officer she was seven months pregnant. She says she told the defendant to stop but he failed to do so. Drug tests showed that Pemberthy had, I don't know how you'd say this, but a level of cocaine per litre in his blood more than five times the limit. He also had a high level of benzoglycosine, uh, which is a metabolite of cocaine, and that was 12 times the limit. Penberthy was a previous good character aside from a single speeding conviction for which he received three penalty points. Ben Mills defending said the incident lasted around five minutes covering a distance of around two and a half miles. He stressed that Penberthy had shown contrition and remorse and also handed up references to the judge including from the defendant's mother. He added, 
It's a situation where he has acted in panic when the police came. Nobody was hurt, although that's a matter of chance. He wasn't showing off to other people and it wasn't road rage. But he got in the car with that amount of drugs in his body. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He has taken steps to deal with the underlying issues which led to him making this terrible decision. Mr. Penberthy took steps himself after this accident to deal with the demons that led him into that situation. This has included counselling and confronting the issue of his drug use head-on by visiting the Beacon Centre in Walsall, the court heard. He started taking cocaine to free himself from depression, said Mr. Mills. He described Mr. Penberthy as a man with real potential and who had a job waiting for him, provided he was not sent to prison. He added, to send him to prison today would be to crush all of that hope, all of that prospect. (laughs) Judge Daniel Pierce Higgins QC said, it's quite clear that this was wholly out of character for this young man. He shows proper remorse and the risk of repetition of this sort of behaviour is extremely unlikely. Calm down, dear. The judge described Pemberthy as a foolish young man who has learned his lesson and said it was not a case where he would impose either an immediate sentence of imprisonment or a suspended sentence. Judge Pierce Higgins banned Pemberthy from driving for two years and ordered him to complete a 12-month community order with a requirement that he undertakes 200 hours of unpaid work. Penberthy of Coronation Road, Walsall Wood, Walsall, was ordered to pay the £340 costs within 28 days. He must also complete an extended driving retest when his ban has finished. Now then, my headline is all shook up by the quake tremors. Holmes shook across Worcestershire as the county felt tremors from an earthquake in South Wales. Some people described feeling as if their entire home was shaking, while others said it was more like having a wobbly sofa. The earthquake in South Wales was of 4.4 magnitude, according to the British Geological Survey and the biggest to hit the UK for around 10 years. The quake's tremor were felt by people across the county at just before 3pm on Saturday, and West Mercia uh, Police reported receiving a high number of calls around the same time. Readers shared their experiences of the tremor with us. Sarah Lester said, I felt it in Worcester. The bed was shaking and open window was really rattling. Helena Beale said, My son felt his bed and wardrobe shake in St Peter's. I thought this was 3pm and they were all in bed. <laughs> ben Davis said, Yes, it felt, you felt it in the Purdeswell area. My daughter thought I'd gone nuts when I said to her I thought it was a tremor. Darren Kai said, In Gwondon, my settee started rocking from side to side. Phil Newman said, felt it on Tolladine Road, shook my office at work. While Rita Dabwoops-Rabbit said, 
very bad in Douglas, over a minute long, strong tremors. Carol Clough added, it was like a gust of wind under the house that rattled my belongings. The tremors were also felt elsewhere across the county. Kim Marie Jamila Clare in Upton said it felt that my sofa had a massager in it. Tracy Louise Haywood said, I felt it in Morven Link. My glass cabinet was rattling in my front room. I thought I was going mad. Maddie Elizabeth Bird added, I felt it in Evesham. First quake I've ever felt. Police in Evesham appealed to residents not to call unless they had damage or injuries to report or needed help. As yet, no injuries or damage has been reported from the earthquake and some people said it had passed them by completely. Andrew Graham said, No, the earth didn't move for me. The British Geological Survey said that the earthquake was the biggest in the UK since 2008. They added that the epicentre was 20 k's, that's 12 miles north of Swansea, with a 4.4 magnitude at a depth of 7.5 km, which is 4.6 metres. Similar earthquakes only happen around every two to three years in the UK. Right, okay. Gym club couple must repay lost £10,000. The couple have been told to repay £10,000 of lost cash to a gymnastics club after saying the money was stolen in a burglary at their home. The manager and a trustee of City of Worcester Gymnastics Club said they lost the cash which they had taken home in a burglary at their property back in 2011. They have so far failed to reimburse the charity for the money which was stolen from their property. The Charity Commission has now agreed a plan for the manager, Peter Fletcher, and trustee Philippa Morgan to repay the cash. A report released yesterday raised concerns about their relationship and the governance of the club based in Willow Street, Worcester. Tracy Howarth, Head of Regulatory Compliance at the Charity Commission said, Our intervention with this charity has ensured a repayment plan is in place to recover the 10000 that was lost. Charities of all shapes and sizes should pay attention to their actions. Yeah, attention to their actions and how the public views them. We are assured that the trustee have learned from their experience and continue to address our concerns around the governance and conflicts of interest so that the charity can move forward confidently in providing valuable services for people of Worcester. The report said the money was stolen from the home of the general manager and a trustee in 2011. Although the document does not give their names, the charity's annual accounts for 2016 show that P. Fletcher was the partner of one of the trustees. Previous annual reports revealed transactions between a trustee called Miss P. Morgan and Mr. P. Fletcher, who is described as a connected party and under a contract of employment. 
The club's website lists Philippa Morgan as head coach of the organisation and Peter Fletcher as the club manager. The Charities Commission investigation report added the charity confirmed that a named trustee had resigned upon taking up a paid role as the general manager. The individual was connected to another trustee by virtue of a long-term relationship. It's getting a bit confusing. Mm -hmm. The charity did not have a conflict of interest policy in place and had failed to report the loss of the 10000 in cash in 2011. We established that a burglary at the home of the general manager and connected trustee had resulted in the loss of the 10000 after cash had been taken home. A formal repayment plan must be put in place to allow the conflicted trustee and general manager to make good the 10,000 losses incurred as a consequence of their actions. In this case, the charity did not have sufficient robust policies on controlling its resources and failed to exercise due care. It has now taken steps to improve this. The report also found that a conflicted trustee had been involved in deciding on the appointment and pay of the general manager. The Charity Commission further questioned whether the club needed a £44,000 vehicle which it bought through a lease agreement. A bit dodgy, don't it? The organisation investigated the club after it was made aware of concern about governance and financial mismanagement in early 2016. The Worcester News approached Miss Morgan, but she declined to comment. Mr Fletcher also declined to comment. A party turned violent when an uninvited guest was attacked by two men, with part of his ear bitten off and his nose broken. Sam Jones needed treatment at Worcester Royal Hospital after he was punched in the face, bitten and kicked when a fight broke out outside a house in Warnden, Worcester during a Christmas party. Benjamin Davies pleaded guilty to causing grievous bodily harm and Fremslaw Marek admitted assault, occasioning actual bodily harm following the incident in the early hours of Boxing Day 2016. Davies, aged 39 of St Anne's Road, Worcester, and Marek, aged 41 of High Street, Bromyard, appeared before Judge T Jim Tyndall at Worcester Crown Court on Monday. Both men said they were acting in self-defence, but conceded they had used excessive force when Mr Jones arrived at a party, bringing Christmas gifts for his ex-partner, Mr Marek's sister. Mr Jones had previously been in a volatile relationship with her, and there had been a series of arguments between them before the party the court heard. Jason Arris, prosecuting, said, Marek became aggressive towards Mr Jones, believing his sister had been assaulted, and a fight broke out in an alleyway outside the house. Mr Jones said he had received a number of blows to the face and back of the head before Davies, who had also been at the party, became involved in the fight. Davies said Mr Jones had been on top of him and had been pressing down on his throat when he bit his ear, kicking him afterwards. When Mr Jones was examined at Worcester Royal Hospital, he was found to have facial and nasal trauma, including a broken nose and loss of tissue from the rim of the ear. Mr Arris said, The Crown say this is greater harm and greater culpability. Greater harm because of the nature of the injury. 
The defendant used his teeth to tear the ear and there was kicking as well. Mr Arias said it was an aggravating feature that the attack happened in a public place. He also argued that the assault by Marek, which caused Mr Jones a broken nose, fell into the category of greater harm but lower culpability because the defendant had been acting in self-defence, though the force he used was acknowledged to be excessive. Okay, I'll test you on that afterwards. Davies was a previous good character with no convictions for violence, but Marek had three relevant convictions on his record, including a wounding for which he received a two-year community order. Lee Masters, representing Marek, submitted glowing character references on his client's behalf and said he was working and able to make a contribution towards costs. Richard Hurl for Davies also gave references on his behalf, but clearly not glowing, to the judge. Mr Hell said Davies had drunk alcohol on the night of the assault, adding he deeply regrets his actions. Judge Tyndall said he understood Mr Jones had not been welcome, but the men had reacted extremely badly and that the injuries were very nasty. He added, I do wonder what on earth was going through your heads at a nice, enjoyable Christmas party when you decided to do what you did. Ordinarily, courts treat an incident of biting as a very serious matter indeed and would approach the idea of biting defensively with a great deal of scepticism. Biting is something people do in fights because they want to cause as much damage as they can. He accepted that in the heat of the moment, Davies might have believed he was acting in self-defence, but that he had given Mr Jones a couple of kicks for good measure. Judge Tyndall sentenced Davies to two years in prison, suspended for two years, and ordered him to complete 300 hours of unpaid work and pay a £1,000 compensation to Mr Jones and a contribution towards costs of £250. He sentenced Marek to 12 months in prison, suspended for two years, and ordered him to complete 200 hours of unpaid work. Marek must also pay compensation of £500 to Mr Jones and court costs of £250. A drugs gang leader, dubbed as the Puppet Master, led a conspiracy to bring cocaine in bulk to the streets of Worcester, a court heard. Mohammed Nazar was described as the leader of a gang which included his son, Akib Nassar, and Lieutenants Stephen Binning and Robert Degaris. Their six-week trial opened at Worcester Crown Court yesterday. That was on Wednesday. All four men denying being part of the conspiracy to supply the Class A drug. The case includes covert police observations, DNA analysis, arrests, seizure of drugs and criminal cash and telephone evidence, which the prosecution say shows links between the alleged conspirators. John Butterfield QC prosecuting said, This is a case about drugs and drug dealers. It's about an organised crime gang that went about organised efforts to sell cocaine at a wholesale level to provide large bulk amounts to divide up and sell to street users of drugs to peddle the misery of drugs to line their own pockets. He described Mohammed Nazir, who worked at Quickfit in Worcester, 
as the general leading the network. He added, he acted as a puppet master, completely responsible for pulling the strings. Mr. Butterfield described Akib Nassar as following in his father's footsteps, running the family business of selling cocaine. Mohammed Nazar, aged 50 of Keswick Drive, warned in Worcester, and Robert Degaris, aged 48 of Popa Drive, Worcester, deny conspiracy to supply cocaine in Worcester between January the 1st, 2015, and December the 8th, 2016. That's the first count. Mohammed Nazar, his son Akib, aged 22 of Bath Road, Worcester, and 35-year-old Stephen Binning of Audley Drive, Kidderminster, are also accused of conspiring with Saeed Iqbal and others unknown to supply cocaine between January the 1st, 2015 and December the 8th, 2016. Mohammed Nazar further denies conspiracy to transfer criminal pop property, i.e. cash, with Sarah Lancaster and others unknown. Two dealers, Chris Corns and Marcus Henney, were arrested in a Ford Focus on May the 13th, 2015, after meeting with one of the alleged conspirators, Digaris, at a city gym in Worcester. Police seized cocaine with a street value of between 15,000 and £22,500 from the car. Officers then searched the address of Corns, Henny and Todd Porter of 118 Bromyard Road, St John's, Worcester. There, police seized £35,000 in cash. They also located what the prosecutions say was a handwritten drugs list penned by Corns, showing cash, changing hands and drugs supplied on tick. Mm. Mr Butterfield referred to a meeting between conspirators at the tip in Billford Road, Worcester, mm -hmm. on May the 28th, 2015, when he said they were licking their wounds and taking stock following two arrests. David Warren, one of the convicted conspirators, worked at the recycling centre. Mr Butterfield also referred to police observations of taxi driver Saeed Iqbal between June and November 2015. The prosecution case is that cocaine and cash changed hands in a car park at B&Q in Kidderminster while the conspirators were under surveillance. A white box containing cocaine was said to be handed over by Stephen Binning from his van to taxi driver Iqbal. Iqbal was arrested with one kilogram of cocaine worth up to £100,000 found behind a panel inside the taxi. Meanwhile, Sarah Lancaster, said to be romantically involved with Mohammed Nassar, was arrested with £19,980 in cash, which the prosecution say was drug dealing, which she picked up from Telford. After Lancaster was released by police, she went to Sin Club in New Street, Worcester, to meet Mohammed Nazar. 
Mr. Butterfield said NASA provided Lancaster with a dirty phone and that DNA evidence linked both NASA and Lancaster to the phone. The trial continues. Okay, that's the end of the headlines. So uh, here are some stories, or some more stories over the last seven days. Over to you, Paddy. This is a headed tax hike of nearly 5% gets the go-ahead. Worcestershire County Council has agreed to put up its share of the council tax by nearly 5%. The decision was taken at a meeting to improve the county hall budget, but the authority's leader, Simon Geraghty, promised no such increase next year. <clears throat> Councillor Geraghty told the meeting yesterday it was necessary to raise its share of council tax by 4.94% this year to pay for essential services. He made the promise during a debate on a motion put forward by Green and Liberal Democrat councillors to reduce the proportion of the increase ring-fenced for adult social care. He said if we agreed to this, the message would be that we would have another 5% increase next year there will not be a maximum increase next year. Earlier, a motion by the 2017 group <clears throat> to add 1% to the tax bill to fund adult social care had been voted down by the Conservative councillors, with Labour councillors abstaining. Lib Dem councillor Fran Oborski said there's a black hole in the adult services, this amendment will solve those real problems. Labour councillors were criticised by Lib Dems for not supporting their amendments and by Conservative councillors for not putting forward any alternative proposals. But they said that they couldn't support amendments to a budget they described as a total failure. Councillor Chris Bloor said, this government has cut the council's funding by half over the last few years. There's no escaping that. An extra million or million and a half does not make up for that. The relationship of this council and the Conservative government is one of abuse. The budget was approved with votes of Conservative councillors easily outweighing votes against made by Labour, Lib Dem, Green and Independent councillors. That's it. Plan to cut plastics in use is watered down. A plan to cut the use of plastics at County Hall has been watered down, according to councillors. Liberal Democrats, Green and Labour councillors felt that a motion to cut the use of plastics at County Hall was substantially watered down by Conservatives, but still voted for it. Two motions about single-use plastics came to the council chambers at the meeting of the entire County Council on Wednesday. One was put forward by Green and Lib Dem councillors asking for the administration to request County Hall's caterers Servest replaced plastic cups and cutlery with reusable materials. That was forwarded to Cabinet and will be discussed at its meeting in April.
The second was a Labour motion which said the council vowed to stop providing plastic cups, bottles, cutlery and straws at all its buildings, cafes and public events by the end of the year. The Labour group leader, Peter MacDonald, accepted a Lib Dem amendment to say that the council would begin a programme to end such use by the end of the year on the grounds that replacing all the plastic items might take longer. Then Councillor Tony Miller, the Conservative Cabinet member with responsibility for the environment, introduced an amendment to say the Council should just encourage the use of alternative materials, dropping the requirement to do so by the end of the year. Councillor Miller said, These things are already happening. If you take a cup to be refilled at the canteen, you get a discount. I think it's better to encourage people to take them with you than beat them. Councillor MacDonald called the intervention a do-nothing amendment. He added, The heart of it is the time frame, that something should be done by the end of the year, that a programme should be introduced by then. What would Councillor Miller do about those who won't be encouraged? Encouragement takes too long. Conservative councillor Ken Pollock said the real issue was littering and that most plastic pollution in the oceans was from Asia and described the motion at council as virtual signalling. The amended motion was passed unanimously. A decision will be made on a hugely controversial bell tower this week. Planning officers at Worcester City Council have recommended approval of the scheme to build the tower at Christopher Whitehead Language College. This is despite dozens of letters to the planning department objecting to the plan to build a performing arts centre with a theatre, dance studio and classrooms which incorporates the 24 metre high tower with 12 bells and a viewing platform looking out at Worcester Cathedral. The report to councillors say that the bells can be rung unmuffled for one hour on 12 days in the year, but can also be used as part of the school's curriculum muffled between 10am and 6pm. Many letters and emails sent to the City Council are from nearby residents mm. against the plan because they feel the tower is too tall, will overlook their properties and the sound of the bells will disturb them. One wrote, it will be an enormous eyesore on the landscape. While a resident of Bromwich Road wrote, it is the bells that we strongly object to. In an area as densely populated as this, they would be extremely noisy. The area has already got state-of-the-art bell, bell ringing facilities at St John's Church and the Cathedral. Another letter said, the noise from one bell would be bad, but 12 would be horrendous. Bedwilling councillor Alan Amos sits on the planning committee but he will not speak or vote as a committee member as he wants to speak as a ward councillor. He said they claim this 24 metre high tower will not be visible, that the viewing platform on top will not overlook any of the properties surrounding it and that the ringing of the bells will not be heard. If so, what is the point of a bell tower? <coughs> Got to give him that. This is all rubbish. They claim its purpose is to enhance the syllabus, but there is no such syllabus and no teachers to teach bell ringing. The proposal will be considered by the City Council's <coughs> Planning Committee at its meeting on Thursday, February the 22nd, starting at 1.30pm at the Guildhall. 
Does he come with a hunchback? Oh, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> they might have to audition. <laughs> Me first. <laughs> Nearly 500 new houses were created in Worcester in 2016 to 17, but with planning permission have been granted for a further 690, more were unbuilt than actually finished. It means that Worcester's experience is similar to many other towns and cities across the UK where the local authority grants permission for new houses, but often they take months or even years to actually be constructed. The national body representing councils, the local government association, wrote to the government and said that the total number of unimplemented planning permissions in England and Wales for 2016-17 was 423,544. Housing spokesman for the LGA, Martin Tett, said, these figures prove that the planning system is not a barrier to house building. In fact, the opposite is true. In the last year, councils and their communities granted twice as many planning permissions as the number of new homes that were completed. No one can live in a planning permission. Councils need greater powers to act where house building has stalled. To tackle the new homes backlog and to get the country building again, councils also need the freedom to borrow and invest in desperately needed new homes. In Worcester for the same year, there were 692 houses with planning permission which had not been started by April 2017 and 219 under construction. The City Council's monitoring report said the gross number of available dwellings totals 911 compared with 1034 in 2016, I think this must read 2015 to 16, and 1,405 the year before that. It said this year there has been a sharp decline in the number of homes under construction, 219 compared with 598 in 2015-16 and a significant increase in the number of approvals not yet under construction. Councillor Lucy Hodgson, Chair of the City Council's Place and Economic Development Subcommittee said, there have been a good number of houses built in Worcester and there are more coming, so there's a good mix. So I think the picture is a reasonably good one. There is a frustration that it takes a long time and we'd all like more people to have a home to move into but developers phase their building in line with funding. Who knew that? Surprisingly. I have no idea. <laughs> now I've got something good to be said about Christopher Whitehead. Oh. I've got a picture of the pupils uh, enjoying uh, Chinese New Year. They had a welcome ceremony in which the students were presented with lucky red envelopes filled with chocolate money, Yum. a key part of the celebration. Four workshops followed, including two language classes, Alliance 
lion dance workshop and a lesson on Chinese culture where students learned about lanterns, origami and the Chinese zodiac signs. They were joined on the day by Year 7 students from Queen Mary's Grammar School in Walsall. Students interviewed each other in Mandarin to find out about themselves. Mrs. Diabru, who coordinated the Mandarin Excellence Programme, said the day was a wonderful opportunity for the students to meet each other and get immersed in Chinese New Year at the fullest level. And it's the year of the dog, in case you're wondering. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to continue now with letters. Um, Moira, would you like to start us off? Yes, please. Okay, my letters from Wendy Hands of Upton upon Severn. Sir, I heard on the news item of a little boy suffering a health problem which caused him to suffer fits many times a day. He and his parents travelled to Holland in search of relief where they found that cannabis oil performed this task admirably. They could not afford to stay in Holland. On their return to England, they sought to obtain treatment for their son using cannabis oil. The powers that be declared this to be illegal, as it had not undergone clinical trials. I consider this attitude to be obscenely short-sighted, and if it were a child of mine or of whom I had heard, I would have made strenuous efforts through the Court of Human Rights. Okay, there's a letter here from A. MacDonald of Worcester. Sir, <clears throat> I'm glad the state of our city has been noticed. Yes, it's a terrible mess in Angel Place by MacDonald's and where our lovely theatre once stood is now a lump of derelict concrete. In Moore Street, there's a dirty old mattress and settee almost on the path. It's been there almost 12 months. When I was a child, this mess wouldn't have been left around. Right, now here's something else. For the, uh, the cold is hitting the vulnerable, says David Griffiths of Worcester. Shocking, cold, harsh reality that's directly affecting the most vulnerable in Worcester. City Council management, in its Dickensian manner, has stopped issuing energy vouchers to those unable to afford heating. In the coldest time of the year, the strategic housing manager, coldly, no pun intended, told me that they're planning some new method of payment and this has been taking two weeks already while people are freezing. For God's sakes, get your act together. Human beings could die as you plan your warm offices. Worcester CAB are taking it serious enough to refer this disgusting situation to their influential policy units, unit. This is serious bosses. And that's David Griffith's opinion. Mm -hmm. Right, this one's from Lorraine Kelly. She's from the Eve Appeal, or rather she's an Eve Appeal ambassador. Tea Time for Cancer Charity. Sir, did you know around 7,400 women in the UK are diagnosed with ovarian cancer every year in the UK? That's 20 women every day. 20 mothers, daughters, sisters, friends or partners. Sadly, of these diagnosed, 11 will die every day. These statistics are shocking and I hope you would agree need to be changed. 
This is why I've decided to support women's cancer charity, The Eve Appeal, and their Make Time for Tea campaign for ovarian, sorry, for ovarian Cancer Awareness Month in March. The charity was set up to save women's lives by raising funds for and awareness of all five gynecological cancers, womb, ovarian, cervical, vulva and vagina. As an, the ambassador for this year's campaign, I'm encouraging everyone to make time for tea. Host your own tea party or bake sale to support this worthwhile cause. Mm. It's a perfect and fun opportunity to gather together with friends, family or colleagues. It doesn't matter whether your event is big or small, your support can help make a real difference. Simply visit eveappeal.org.uk forward slash tea to get your free fundraising pack or give the Eve team a call on 020-7605-0109. After all, it could be any one of our sisters, mothers, daughters or friends that are given the devastating news they've been diagnosed with an ovarian cancer. It could be us or someone we love. That's why the Eve Appeal needs your help this ovarian cancer awareness month. So put the kettle on, get the cake mixers out, hang up the hunting and make time for tea. Oh, bunting, not hunting, sorry. <laughs> hang up the bunting and make time for tea. Okay, I've got a letter from Jerry Taggart, a poet. Sir, I can scarcely believe that you published the advertisement for Black Cherry on February the 19th. What makes you think that marketing stunning and very friendly girls is acceptable? I wonder if you're reading the national press. I'll be surprised if you don't get a backlash from local women, not just the hashtag MeToo movement, but others. And for those people who don't know what Black Cherry is, allegedly it's a gentleman's club. Really? <laughs> okay, this is from Phil Deuce, who's a chairman of Worcester Civic Society and vice chairman and trustee of Civic Voice. <clears throat> Sir, I read with interest the front page article in the Worcester News on Thursday, February the 8th, concerning council planning woes. Councillor Chris Mitchell is chair of the planning committee, not chairman of the planning department, oh. but makes a very good point. The last thing we need in Worcester are government officers making decisions on matters they will know nothing about. The main issue is that until Worcester City Council starts offering realistic salaries for these planning posts, then there will be no one willing to take the role. Even the consideration of removing £55,000 from the budget beggars belief. There is a national shortage of both planning officers and conservation officers and surely it would be better to relax these ridiculous timescales until the situation is resolved. In my role as Vice Chairman and Trustee of a Civic Voice, the national body for the civic movement, I talk to many councils and civic societies across the country and they are all suffering the same problems. 
With this situation as elsewhere, the planning process becomes nothing more than a box-ticking exercise. I spend some four or five hours each week going through any application in Worcester that affects a listed building or a conservation area, and some of the decisions currently being rushed through means we lose significant parts of our heritage. This is how many, if not all, of the applications will be addressed until more planners are recruited and or the allowable timescales are relaxed. There is free training available from Historic England to help the planning panel understand the heritage aspects of planning decisions, but so far the Council have shown no interest. Now this is entitled Lift, Plan, Lift Ban and See What Happens and it's from Councillor Alan Amos. So, as I expected, my warnings about the self-evident dangers of cyclists turning through busy pedestrianised shopping streets have stirred up the vociferous and ever-demanding cycle lobby. But at least we now know their real reason for wanting to endanger lives they think they're entitled to. They haven't and won't answer my question as to why they actually have to cycle through pedestrianised streets. That is, made for people on foot instead of walking like everybody else. So much for their need to get exercise argument. But their most bizarre assertion is that because there haven't been so many accidents up to now, they should be allowed through. The reason for the current relatively safety, relative safety is precisely because we have a ban on cycling even through the city. The city council hasn't enforced it. Remove the ban and see the accidents happen. That is what I'm trying to prevent. Mm. Okay. Uh, should we continue with some other stories of the last Sunday? Yes, please. Just 5% of abandoned cars, that's 54 of 988, have been removed by the City Council since 2015, figures have revealed. An FOI request submitted by Confused.com also shows the Council has spent £5,490 of taxpayers' money removing and destroying abandoned vehicles in Worcester over the last five years. What's more, the cost of removals, just £90 in 2012, had increased by 1,600% by 2016, when £1,440 was spent getting rid of rogue vehicles. Elizabeth Taylor and Susan Etheridge are just two of the city's residents who contacted the Worcester News last year to complain about <coughs> abandoned cars outside their homes. Mrs Etheridge, who has lived in Blankets Avenue, Worcester for nearly 14 years, said in December a Ford Fiesta had been dumped outside her house for six months. It's behind our drive on the opposite side of the road, half on the pavement on the opposite side of the road, and the rear half of the car is on a speed bump. It's difficult to reverse out of the drive because it's there. In November, 78-year-old Sunnyside Road resident Elizabeth Taylor contacted us 
regarding a similar problem with an abandoned Citroën Picasso which had been there since May. Within a week of an article being published, Mrs Taylor said the car was removed. However, the Fiesta is taxed until June the 1st with a named driver. Therefore, according to the council, there is nothing it can do. A City Council spokeswoman said, The County Council, as part of its responsibility for highways, is responsible for dealing with abandoned vehicles. However, it has delegated its powers to the District Councils. She said a car is considered abandoned whether or not it is taxed if the owner cannot be traced, i.e. the owner's address held by the DVLA is contacted but they get no response. Where cars are removed by the City Council, we recharge the costs to the County Council, she added. She went on to explain, The reason why cars are reported as abandoned but sometimes are not removed is because councils are often able to trace the car owner. If the car is taxed and is legally parked, the council can take no action. If it isn't taxed, the DVLA has the power to remove the vehicle. The City Council's annual parking report for 2016-17 says the team responded to 448 reports of vehicles being abandoned, a rise of 261 on the previous year. On our officer's arrival, 314 vehicles had already been removed or no trace was found. 119 vehicles were removed by the driver on request. 38 seven-day notices requiring removal were served on vehicle owners and 15 vehicles were lifted, of which 14 were destroyed. That's up eight from the previous year. A number of reviews into a 30-year-old unsolved murder a case of a pregnant woman found on the M50 have failed to reveal any additional evidence, say police. The body of Marie Wilkes, 22 of Worcester, was found at the bottom of an embankment on the M50 near Bushley, Tewkesbury, in June 1988. Nightclub bouncer Eddie Browning was arrested and jailed for life the following October but later acquitted on appeal in April 1994. Detective Chief, Chief Superintendent David Cole, head of West Mercia CID at the time, said he would be very interested if West Mercia was to reopen the case due to advances in forensics now available. However, current Detective Chief Inspector Steve Tonks has told the Worcester News this week that further forensic work was commissioned which did not reveal any additional evidence. He said, This case has been subject to review a number of times since Eddie Browning's acquittal by the Major Crime Review Unit. He said as recently as two years ago, work was commissioned on the case. The case remains on our list of unsolved cases that would be subject to periodic reviews, he added. Mrs Wilkes was seven months pregnant with her second child when she was stabbed to death on the M50 motorway. On her way home from visiting her husband on Territorial Army exercises in Wales. The Morris Marina car she was driving had broken down and leaving her baby son and 11-year-old sister inside, 
she walked to a motorway phone to call for help. Mrs. Wilkes' conversation with the police was suddenly interrupted and when they tried to ring back, there was no reply. A patrol dispatched to the scene found the car and the children, but no sign of Mrs. Wilkes, though the handpiece was left hanging on its cord. Two days later, the young mother's body was discovered in thick undergrowth, about three miles from where her car had stuttered to a halt. A post-mortem revealed she had died from a stab wound in the neck, which caused fatal loss of blood. She also had a broken jaw and severe facial bruising. Within four days, police had arrested Browning outside a club in the Rhondda Valley, Mid Glamorgan. During the second appeal, Mr Browning's QC, Michael Mansfield, argued that police failure to release a witness video interview to the, to the defence could have affected the outcome of the original case. This involved the testimony of an off-duty West Mercia police inspector who happened to be on the M50 at the time of the abduction and had seen a similar silver Renault car to that of Mr Browning. However, his subsequent recollection of its number plate differed from that of the defendant's vehicle. This contributed to Lord Chief Justice Lord Taylor saying they could not be sure the jury would have inevitably reached the same decision had material irregularities involving non-disclosure not occurred. Eddie Browning walked free and picked up more than £600,000 in compensation. Now I have a story about a schoolgirl who's uh, hoping for great things. A singer in Worcester will have her first single released on iTunes next month. She's Amy Stanley, <coughs> she's 18 from Ombersley, who was spotted performing at local venues by London-based company Halo Records UK as their owner Michael Maslin is from Worcester. Miss Stanley, formerly of Droitwich High School, describes her single as dancing lights as a slow rock tune. She teams up with her cousin, Jake Marsh, to perform in front of audiences in Worcester and the surrounding areas. She said, it's really exciting to get my first EP and it feels amazing. I'm so thankful to Mike because without him, none of this would have happened. She added, I sing different types of music from rock to jazz to blues. My dream is to be able to sing wherever I can, whether that be weddings or in local areas, and to be able to earn enough money to do so full time. I have done quite a few gigs in the area I have a regular gig once a month at Bottles in Worcester until October and will be performing at the Witchpold Club and the Pheasant in Worcester and I do quite a lot of open nights. <clears throat> I do quite a lot of covers with my cousin but we try to make them our own. 
the former Omsley First School and Westacre Middle School pupil started her interest in music when she was four years old, learning to play on her grandmother's piano and lessons followed. She said her parents' love of all music, from classical to 70s progressive rock, is what she grew up with and she still cites Bad Company as one of her favourite bands. After seeing her cousin Jake March play as a singer-songwriter and often perform at local pub venues, Amy decided to do the same. She said that Ellie Goulding was discovered at an open mic night, albeit in London, and that the gigging locally, this might give her a chance to be found. Musically, she loves Hayley Williams of rock band Padmore and the bands Wolf, Alice and London Grammar, but keeps a special place in her heart for all things Robert Plant. Mm. She intends to go back to keyboards and use that with her singing as have singer-songwriters such as Narina Pallet. The single for which Jimmy designed the artwork is available to buy on iTunes on Friday, March the 2nd. So get in the queue. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Mystery Graffiti. Was Banksy in Upton? A Banksy style mural was. Sorry. A Banksy style mural was, has been mysteriously painted in the doorway of an Upton wine bar. Jackie Makepiss Dadeswell, landlord of the butcher shop in the High Street, was greeted by the graffiti on Sunday morning. I've got no idea where it came from or who did it, she said. I think it's fantastic and I love it. Banksy did it. <laughs> I don't know why they've chosen to do it in Upton or why they've chosen to do it on my building, but I think it's great. Everybody seems to like it. I haven't had any complaints yet. Obviously, I want to protect it. A few people have suggested putting a Perspex cover over it to stop it getting damaged. Whether the mural is from the stealthy hands of Banksy or whether it is by a local graffiti artist remains to be seen. Nevertheless, its appearance has impressed residents with some business owners hoping the artist paints on their buildings. Two separate sightings of a mystery man in dark clothing and a mask have only thickened the plot, but the mystery mural maker has yet to be identified. If the painting is an authentic Banksy piece, the owners of the High Street wine bar could face a few problems. An original artwork by the iconic graffiti artist was ripped from a wall in Folkestone in Kent and shipped to the US in 2015. The owners of the amusement arcade it was painted on chiselled out right the owners of the amusement arcade it was painted on so whoever it was they obviously missed this out chiselled out the work and sent it to a gallery in New York where it was valued at almost half a million pounds God, a judge that. later ruled that it should be returned to the arcade <laughs> I don't know what I would do with it if it was real added Mrs Makepeace Day as well it's a listed building, so I'm afraid it will have to stay put. It's basically a, a picture of a Neanderthal man holding a tray with a bottle and a wine glass. Oh, okay, just mm. look. Mm. Oh, yeah. 
Um, residents have called for a large pile of rubbish that includes mattresses, a Christmas tree and even a karaoke machine to be cleared from outside a Worcester pub. Kai Tung of Ligon Walk contacted the Worcester News to say waste has been spilling out of a large wheelie bin and dumped around it outside the Farmer's Boy pub in Tolladine Road. A spokesman from Worcester City Council says a street cleaning team will be in the area today to clean up some of the mess. Ms Tung first contacted the paper in 2015 about the issue when the City Council sent letters to residents asking them not to contaminate the green recycling bins with rubbish and to say they would collect an overspill to give them a fresh start. But Ms Tung says the issue has never been resolved and only got worse, particularly in the last few weeks. Items in the pile that is built up include two mattresses, various bags, bedding, a Christmas tree, a children's play mat, a karaoke machine and rubble. Glass cans and bottles have also blown out into the road. We have rats in this area now. I'm fed up of complaining about it, Miss Tung said. I saw a man putting a chair in the grey bin. It's turned into a dumping ground. The smell from the rotten food is awful. Every time I walk past, I have to hold my nose. Another resident of Logan Walk, who did not wish to be named, said... My mum is in and out of hospital and doctors and nurses come here and don't want to be seen that. The black bin is full of chairs now. I'm sure they see far worse than that, to be fair. The black bin is full of chairs now. If people see the mess, they think it's a rough area. (laughs) (laughs) A resident of nearby flats, who also did not want to be named, said the bins there were meant for the flats on the other side of the site and for flats above the pub saying he believes fly-tipping has been going on. The mattresses are people who can't be bothered to take it to the tip, and they're just dumping it there, he said. It's a combination of problems. People also don't recycle, so it builds up. The farmer's boy landlady, Gina Wells, said, it's been going on for years. The problem is no one can decide whose rubbish it is. Fly-tippers see rubbish dumped and just add it. It is disgusting. This is the entrance to my business and it's got worse in the last few weeks. Nobody seems to take responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. She added that pub staff have been forced to do litter picks, collecting items that have blown over into the car park. The City Council spokesman confirmed their team would be out today, so that's actually today, mm-hmm. um, but they could only clear the public highway, which includes the pavement road in Grass Verge, as well as items in the bin. The spokesman said refuse collectors would not be able to collect the rest as it is on private land. Mm. The spokesman added, residents are reminded that bulky items such as mattresses Mm. can be arranged to be collected by requesting a bulky refuse collection on the website worcester.gov.uk forward slash recycling hyphen waste. Dozens of businesses are backing the 2018 Worcestershire Education Awards. The awards are organised jointly between the Worcester News and University of Worcester and celebrate the talent in our schools, nurseries, colleges and other groups. They follow the success of the inaugural Worcestershire Education Awards in 2017. This year... International giant Worcester Bosch is sponsoring the Community Involvement Award. 
and also lending their support in 2018 are Parallel Lines, sponsoring the keynote speaker, which is former swimming champion Duncan Goodhue, the Royal Three County Show, sponsoring the program, Western Power Distribution, sponsoring the Unsung Hero Award, Babcock Prime, sponsoring the Newcomer of the Year Award, Worcestershire County Council, sponsoring the Teacher or Lecturer of the Year Award, Worcestershire Local Enterprise Partnership, sponsoring the College or Post-18 Education and Training Provider of the Year Award, Worcester Sixth Form College, sponsoring the Primary School of the Year Award. There are still categories available to sponsor. They are Early Years Education, Secondary School of the Year, Independent School of the Year and Special Education <coughs> Needs. Nominations are open until April the 20th. See uh, worcesternews.co.uk slash education awards slash nominate. Worcester News Editor Michael Purton said, It's fantastic to see many local organisations sponsoring the education awards, showing their support for the great educators in our county. I have a heartwarming story here, oh, headed when a delight after a tough year. A dad of one was smiling from ear to ear after proposing to his girlfriend on Valentine's Day with a thousand pound diamond ring he'd won in a competition. Craig Smith popped the question to Jordan Minnis at her workplace on Wednesday after winning a competition run by Anya Potsy Fine Jewellery and Youthcom Radio. Mr Smith of Warner Villages, Worcester, said, I can now finally propose to my girlfriend, not only to show her how much I love her, but also to thank you for sticking with me through the hard times we've encountered. He added that the last year had been hard after losing his job. The competition was launched on January the 31st to all Facebook fans and listeners of the Friar Street Jewellers and <coughs> Sir John-based radio station. Jeweller Anna Pozzi said she was delighted to donate the platinum and 20-carat diamond ring as the prize. And there's a picture of her presenting it to Jordan and then a picture of him with his girlfriend and the girl wearing her engagement ring very oh, proudly. Yeah. So that's, that's nice a nice story. cheerful piece. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Right, I've got a From the Fields to Pizzas on Wheels. A Worcestershire farming couple are bringing a slice of the Mediterranean to the country with a pop-up pizza restaurant they have created in a converted horse trailer. Toby and Lydia Watley live in Callowen near Worcester and grow spalt on their family farm in Bromyard, which they stone grind into flour for bakeries, farm shops and restaurants across the UK. Now they're making sorry, now they're taking their flour business called Toad's Mill one step further by converting a new horse trailer into a pizza pop-up restaurant, which they plan to take to weddings, parties and food festivals across the country. 
using dough made from their own flour and seasonal toppings sourced from local producers each pizza will be hand baked in a wood-fired oven the couple who studied at harper adams university near telford and the royal agricultural university in sarancester believe they can serve up to 50 pizzas in every hour from their blacking copper livery trailer decorated with a smart wooden bar and pretty bunting Bookings are already firing in for parties and weddings throughout the summer and they will be at events including Hereford Food Festival, the Coldwall Festival, both in June. Next month they plan to take the new venture, Toad's Mill Kitchen, on the road for village pizza nights at sites across Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. The first takes place on Thursday, March the 15th in Eckington near Pershaw, where Toby, Lydia and their team will be cooking from 5.30pm. We know we've got an amazing product with our light white and wholemeal spout flour, said Toby, age 28, who trained and previously worked as an agricultural engineer. It makes fantastic bread, pancakes, brownies and pizza bases, and we've just entered it for our first Great Taste Award. But we wanted to add value to our flour by giving our customers the finished product. And there's nothing more delicious than a wood-fired spout pizza, particularly when it's made with incredible ingredients, all made on our farms here. Spout is an ancient form of wheat, which is thought to date back to 5000 BC. Since the beginning of the 21st century, spout has gained widespread popularity as a common wheat substitute for making artisan breads, pastas and cereals. Fans of the Toad's Mill include French-born celebrity baker Richard Bertinet, who now runs a business in Bath, a brewery which has expressed interest in using the spout for brewing, craft and beer, and several London food emporiums now stock bags of its flour each marked with the name of the field from which the spout has been harvested. We've always wanted people to buy a product with provenance, added Lydia, aged 27, and now we can do that with Toad's Mill Kitchen Pizzas. We're passionate about British farming, and what better way to explain everything that's brilliant about it than by bringing a fantastic finished product straight to the consumer. Mm, Sounds good. good. Do you think they deliver? <laughs> okay, a Worcester solicitor who stabbed his wife in a murder-suicide bid while in the grip of work-related depression is to be struck off. Former senior prosecutor Ian Farrymond attacked his wife Tina with a kitchen knife and a wooden ornament before stabbing himself on the eve of their wedding anniversary in May 2016. Farrymond, 55 of Battenhall Road, Worcester, was suffering from severe depression triggered by stress at work and believed his wife would not cope if he killed himself. He admitted attempted murder and was jailed for six years at Nottingham Crown Court in September 2016. A a solicitor's disciplinary tribunal found Farrymond had damaged the reputation of the legal profession. However, the tribunal said it had considerable sympathy for him. The tribunal heard that his wife, who recovered from her injuries, remained supportive of him. 
had decided he should be suspended indefinitely but not struck off as there is a realistic prospect he may recover and be able to return to his work. The Solicitor's Regulation Authority, the SRA, challenged the tribunal's decision at London's High Court and yesterday, uh, which was yesterday, um, two judges agreed that the only appropriate sanction was striking off. Mr Justice Garnham said, I have a significant measure of sympathy for Mr Farrymond and a very great deal of sympathy for his wife and son. In my judgment, however, the sanction imposed in this case by the tribunal cannot stand because of the seriousness of the offending and the consequent damage to public confidence in the profession it will have engendered. Sir Brian Levison said, It was beyond argument that a solicitor's sentence to any substantial term of imprisonment should not be permitted to remain on the roll, even if suspended indefinitely. I note with some surprise that we haven't come across a story of the, the great British tragedy this week, the uh, KFC running out of chicken. Oh, oh no. Goodness me. It's so we'll continue with one about university funding then. <laughs> British universities are a major success story and they need paying for. The Vice-Chancellor of the University of Worcester, David Green, has responded to Prime Minister Theresa May's much-heralded speech on university fees. The PM said yesterday afternoon that she's launching a review into how we fund higher education, acknowledging that allowing universities to charge variable fees up to 9250 has resulted in one of the most expensive systems in the world. She said it was unfair to expect people who don't benefit from higher education to subsidise those who do, but that having both students and the taxpayer contribute to funding was an important principle. She also said that we need to consider alternative forms of education and training instead of assuming everyone will benefit from an academic degree course. Professor Green, who was vocally opposed to the raising of the fees in 2011, said, In the last year, before the increased fees, we were all allowed 67% of university funding. Sorry, we were allowed... Makes sense. 67% of university funding came from government grants and contracts, including contracts with the NHS. Now that figure is 6%, it's a 90% cut. Professor Green said that when the variable fears were introduced, Worcester charged £8,100 for undergraduate tuition, and that over the last seven years, that has risen to £9,250 per year, the maximum allowed. He added, I think it is important that funding comes from the students themselves, business and society in a whole, as a whole. Graduates are more likely to be in work, they pay more in tax, and they are less likely to commit crime. We train the nurses and midwives who work at Worcestershire Royal. We train teachers who help educate our children. And at the University of Worcester, 97% of our students come from state schools and we are in the 
top 10 in the country for long-term employment rates over five years. So we are a major engine for social mobility. Britain has some of the best universities and the best university system in the world. If we don't get funding from the student loans company, it will need to be replaced by something. Jade Haley, president of the Students' Union at the University of Worcester, said, Our overriding concern will always be fair access to higher education. I agree with the notion of breaking down old-fashioned attitudes towards technical qualifications, and I think this should be welcomed as the country nearly clearly needs people with practical as well as academic skills. What we can't have, however, is a system that reduces the number of people from low-income backgrounds going to university, whatever course they choose. That's England. Wales is still capped mm -hmm. for the no, Welsh residents. Okay. Scotland is free. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. I have some bad news for motorists. Workers will return to a major city centre road to continue work on a sewer pipe blocked by a fat berg. The A44 Sidbury Road, Worcester, fat was... Bird. It's uh, um, people throwing fat down the oh, sink, I, I presume. An iceberg made of fat. <laughs> Pity they don't throw their own down. <laughs> <laughs> the A44 Sidbury Road in Worcester was closed from December the 21st to the 24th while the blockage was removed, causing mayhem for last-minute Christmas shoppers. Seven Trent Water engineers will return to the road this evening. This is Friday last week. Work is needed because two months on, part of the pipe remains blocked, it has been revealed. Worcestershire County Council's Highways Department tweeted to saying the overnight work is to prevent ongoing problems using specialist equipment. However, officers reassured motorists the works will be a nighttime only one. A spokeswoman for Seven Trent said we'll be returning to Sidbury to do some work on the Vatborg that was discovered in December. At the time, we managed to unblock the fat from the sewer enough to get it running again so services to customers isn't affected. She said engineers will be using special CCTV cameras to see exactly what is causing the remainder of the blockage. I should have thought it was fat. <laughs> <laughs> Once we know what we're dealing with, we can work out a plan to resolve it or even melt it away. <laughs> they need you, Paddy. Yeah, what makes this job more complicated than normal mm. is the fact that the part of the pipe that's blocked is under a canal, so we can't just dig down, and that's why it's taking a while longer to get it all sorted. We're really sorry for inconvenience we cause, and we'd like to remind people in the area that fat should not be washed down the sink, <laughs> as it can cause issues just like this. The sat, sit, whoops, the Sidbury Fatberg was estimated 
to be between 7 and 10 metres in length. Isn't that disgusting? Oh. Oh. I've got a I've got a little one here. Stop the revolution, it's time for me to get off. <laughs> there will of course come a time when I will no longer be able to cope with the electronic revolution. Like many other older people, I've come to realise that there is only so far I can, or indeed want to, come to think about it. Go with this endless journey through cyberspace. That's right, stop the spaceship, I want to get off. The other day I learned that car parks across Britain are phasing out the coins in the slot payment method and adopting an on-screen device that will be activated by one's mobile phone. Eh? Never mind me and my technophobic ways. What happens to the hidden millions out there who can't even switch on a laptop? Never mind own a smartphone. <laughs> yes, this statement will undoubtedly trigger the usual self-regarding laughter from the smug generation which knows everything about digital doings yet wouldn't be able to string more than five words together in an actual conversation <laughs> with their fellow creatures. And yes, too, there will be the geeks... Nearly always men, the types who tend to dominate groups such as cabra, camera clubs, that will also sneer at Mark and sorry, that will also sneer as they hurl themselves at the feet of the great techno deity. As for me, I think I'm not running fast enough to keep up, or indeed maybe no longer in the running. Basically, running out of time, in fact. Perhaps my next life will be a little less complicated. We can but hope. I like it. Well, thanks very much. Well, we've come to the end of this week's edition, but I've been asked to announce that the uh, Worcester Talking newspaper holds its AGM uh, 6.30 on Tuesday the 13th of March at Colin Chance House. Uh, that's on Wires Lane, for those of you who don't know. Um, Everyone is cordially invited and refreshments will be provided. Ooh. So I hope to see you there. And I'd like to thank the team this evening uh, and hope that you listeners have enjoyed it. Have a good week and we'll be back with you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.